Good to see you all and those that are uh, watching by Facebook and by YouTube. We uh, welcome you to today's service and glad that you are here as well. Um, And before I preach this morning, uh, we're just going to take care of something that needs to be taken care of. Oh, there she is. Um, Fran Painter has been trying to join our church for a a little while now, and uh, things have not made that possible. So this morning, uh, Fran wants to become a part of New Horizon. So at this time, I'll ask somebody to say, we would love to have Fran as a part of our family. And I'll have somebody that would say, man, absolutely I want Fran a part of this family. All right, then all in favor would say, amen. Thank you, Lord, for bringing Fran our way. All right, God, thank you, Fran. And she is special, and if you've not got to know Fran yet, um, many of you have throughout the night because she's been so uh, much a part of the community. Um, If you're struggling in your faith, you're struggling to, uh, your faith is just lacking, you need to spend a little time with Fran. I believe that Fran has the gift of faith. And she just always has an ability to be right. And and I don't understand it, but she always is there. And I've seen her in very, the deepest uh, of struggles and and the good times as well. And her faith is just constant. And it's really a gift. So we're blessed to have her. All right, guys, we're we're doing our reading this week. We're in Genesis chapter 12. For those of you that don't know, saying, what is going on? Well, let me explain what's going on while you find Genesis 12. A few weeks ago, um, God dealt with me personally about our church. And, and in a sense that this is what God was saying to me, I believe, and I'm scared, I'm, not, I'm nervous about saying God said things to me, but in my study and in my prayer time, this is what I was sensing that was going on in our life as far as a church. I felt like we had got to a place that we felt like music didn't matter. That we just sang a couple of songs and it was just to fill time. That all we thought about was just the Word. It wasn't the music team's fault. It was leadership. It was me. It was uh, leadership's fault. Um, So we went down that road. And God began to deal with my heart and say, I want you to do something different. I, I really feel like He wanted us to move toward Um, us presenting the word first and worship singing afterwards now understand my heart on this i'm not i'm not lessening the value of the word of god i'm not i believe it to be of utmost importance and i'm really not elevating music what i am elevating is that the importance of each one of us to worship personally the importance because god said I seek those who will worship me. It's the only thing in the Word of God that the Word of God said that He sought after, and it was those who would worship Him. So it's not, we do that with the Word, we do that with music, we do that with our service, we do that with our talent, our gifts, our personality, but I felt like we weren't doing it in our worship time. So we've moved it to the end of the service because letting you know that Chris Thomas is not the main point and what he says is not the main point. Neither is what the worship team does, but the main point of us gathering is you to personally worship our Savior. That's the main point. And we want to get there. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. So I'm preaching, then worship, and then I'll come back and do communion. 
So as we've been reading, we know that God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. Well, they filled the earth, but not before they rebelled. So they filled the earth with a bunch of people who were bearing the image of themselves and not the image of God. And then we come to Noah, so God gets sick of the images of self and destroys everything but Noah and his family. And he comes off the ark and he says to Noah, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And then Noah fills the earth continually with people who what? Instead of bearing the image of God, are bearing the image of self. You know, we, we dealt through that message and we walked through that. In our reading this week, we read about the city of Babel, the Tower of Babel, and what was going on there. They were saying, we're tired of going out. We want to stay together. And if we stay together, then we can build this great city together, and we can build this tower into the heavens, and we can make our name great. So there's two things going on. They were not bearing the image of God to make His name great. They were bearing the image of self to make their name great. And then they were refusing to fill the earth. Just wanted to stay together. So again, they rebelled. As we have talked about the context of the Scripture, as we begin to go through, Genesis 1 and 2 is about creation. Genesis 3 through 11 is about rebellion. Today, we begin with Genesis 12, which is what? Which starts with people, and very specifically, one person and his wife, Abram and Sarah. And what we have, think about this. God had Adam and Eve, and they began to multiply. God had Noah and his kids, and they were multiplying. And now God says, okay, I'm going to fulfill this command with Abram and Sarah, and they're 75 and 85, 65 years old. It seems like a very limited plan. It seems like a very narrow plan. But read with me Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, would you think with me about this? God is saying, okay, Abram, I gave a command to Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree, to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They ate of the tree and multiplied and filled the earth with people who are self-imagers. Selfies. Takers. I should have used that, but I'm not very up-to-date, am I? Actually, that might be past at this point. <laughs> I don't even know. But they didn't do it. I gave that command to Noah and he just reproduced people who had the image of themselves, making their name great. So look at what he says. Do you notice in verses 2 and 3 that five times there's the statement, I will. 
There's one other place in Scripture where we see I will five times. And it's when Satan was frustrated with God and was telling God, I will ascend above you. I will ascend to your throne. I will be like you. So what is God telling Abram? I have given mankind the command to go and fill the earth with people who will bear the image of me. And you all have rebelled. So now he says to him, so you all won't do it, I will. I will make you a nation. I will make your name great. I will bless you who bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse who curses you. He says, I, God says, I will, you, mankind has rebelled to keep this command. I will do this myself. And I will do it through you. So the question comes to us today. In chapters 12 and 13, we see how God is going really 12 through 15. We see God how, what His plan is to fill the earth with people who bear His image and who worship Him. But we also see is what Abram's responsibility is in it. Because God's not saying, Abram, I want you to do it. God is saying, Abram, I'm going to do it. I'm just allowing you to be a part of it. So what, did, what was Abram's responsibility? And I title this message this. Abram is going, is pitching tents, and building altars because of God's promises. What is His promises? To make you a nation. To make your name great. To bless you. To bless those who bless you. To curse those who curse you. That is the promises. So Abram is simply going, pitching tents, and building altars because of the promise that God has given. Now, let's begin. Number one, God's promises cause us to go in obedience. God's promises cause us to go in obedience. Genesis 12, 4 says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him to go. So Abram went. He said, this is the promise, verses 2 and 3. Verse 4, Abram says, because of the promise, I'm going. Listen, God didn't say, if you'll go, I'll give you the promise. He said, I'm giving you the promise, so go. It's like this, guys. Think about what, this is the way God's grace works. God's grace gives us payday before we ever work. The world works this way. You work this week and I'll pay you. God says, I'm paying you and then you'll work. That's what He's doing here. So where Adam and Eve rebelled to go, the population after Noah rebelled to go, Abram is obedient to go. Think about this. He's going, but he doesn't know where he's going. And he doesn't know when God's going to say stop. He's just going. Would you consider that for just a moment? As you and I, as you'll see, this, pertain, this promise pertains to us through Christ. 
later in the message. And you and I are called to go, to go and make disciples of all nations. We're called to go as we're going. You and I don't know where we'll ever end up at. You and I know today we're in La Follette. We know we're in Campbell County. Some of you's in Jacksboro, some of you's in Carroll. But we know that we're in Campbell County right now. But we don't know where we might be in a year or two years from now. Abram didn't either. The point is, is for us not to know where we're going. The point is for us to, to go because of the promise. Because of what God has given us, may we just go. Now, number two, may we look at this. God's promises calls us to respond in worship. Look, look at Genesis 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. We've, so we've seen God give Abram a promise. This is what I'm doing. We've seen Abram be obedient to go. And now we see God getting more specific in the promise. He said, I'll make you a great nation. But now he's specifically saying, you see this land right here? I'm going to give that to you, to your offspring. And so what was his response? So he built an altar, a, a place of Abram's response to the promise. It's a place of gratitude. It's a place of adoration. It's a place where Abram worships with his mind. Think about this. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Let's think about mind. The, the mind is the promise, the truth. With all your strength. You think about the strength that it took for him to go and to be where he's going. With all of his heart, the affections that he had to stay at that altar and just sit before the Lord because he loved him so much. With all of his soul, his personality, his gifts, his talents, he built this altar to do what? To worship him. Number three, God's promises calls us to look for his kingdom. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent. Would you think with me just a moment? God has just told him, Abraham, you, this land I'm giving to your offspring. This land is here for you. No, it could have been just as easy that Abraham said, I'm taking this piece of property, it's going to be ours anyway, and I'm building a permanent dwelling. I'm building a permanent house. That's not what he did. He pitched a tent. He pitched a temporary dwelling. Because he knew that his journey was going to what? A more permanent home. Look, with Hebrew, look at Hebrews with me. It's on the screen if you don't want to get there. Hebrews 11, 9 and 10 said, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, now watch, as did Isaac his son, as did Jacob his grandson, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Now watch verse 10. It's the key to it. 
for he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You see, what Abraham knew is that this promise that God had given him was not just temporary in his life. This promise that God had given him was something that was eternal and that would be forever and that God was going to build. He was going that way. Now, Look back at 12 verse 8. Look back at Genesis 12 verse 8. Look at the second sentence of that. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Again, he does what? He pitches a tent saying, I'm temporary, I'm, I'm an image bearer of you, and I'm making others that will worship you. But he's also saying, but I'm also building an altar saying that, God, I am worshiping you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm worshiping with you with all of my being. Now, I want us to turn thoughts just a little bit with number four. And you'll see what I mean in four, five, and six. Number four is God's promises... Stand in a time of trouble. If I, you see, when I put these messages together, I go over them, over and over them. Then I go over them on my days off as well. And if I had this to do over and had the time, I would have said God's promises remain in a time of trouble. They remain. They never stop. They never change. Look at what happens here. Look in Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Will you get this? Just because we've received a promise from God, just because we've been obedient to go when God said go, just because that we have, we have pitched tents and been image bearers, just because that we have been worshipers of Him in our heart, altar of our hearts does not mean that we won't have severe famine. Does not mean that we won't have difficult trouble. Matter of fact, the reality is is that all of those four things I just mentioned means that we will have difficulty. Means that we will have trouble. Means that we will have hard times. But you've got to know this and I've got to know this. That the promises don't change because we're in a difficult time. The promises don't, are not negated by difficulty, by trouble, by hardship. I recently heard somebody say this, and I think it's correct. That used to, we used to think about his life as being two tracks. On one track was blessing, and we'd ride on it a while. The other track was trouble, and we'd ride on it a while. We used to think about the Christian life as being on a mountain sometimes in blessing and in a valley sometimes with sorrow. But this person, it was Rick Warren, I think, who said it. But he said, I don't think any of that's true. He said, I think we're riding on a track that's full of blessing and trouble at the same time. It's like we're never without trouble but we're never without blessing. It's like it all, it just happens continuously with the life of a believer. Always trouble, always hard times, but always blessings. 
I think there's truth in that. But God's promises do not change because of trouble. Can we continue on to number five? God's promises stand in a time of failure. Look at Genesis 12, 11 through 13. God's promises remain in a time of failure. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Now that's a good husband. I know what a beautiful woman you are. But then he shows how poor of a husband he is. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Would you think with me about this just a moment? Would you realize that what's the promise that God gave to Abraham? I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham has got himself in a difficult situation and you and I when we go through difficult times something happens to us that we separate our mind from the promises of God in a time of difficulty somehow we forget what God said in his promises and Abraham somehow has detached the promise of his God uh, uh, of what God had said to him he has detached that from his mind and his situation, thinking that he's in danger and possibly could die in this situation. In one sense, you might say it like this. He's having a moment where his faith is little. He's having a moment where his trust is lacking. He's having a moment of unbelief. But do you know what? Do you realize that little faith and unbelief and a lack of trust should is normal in a Christian's life? It's not negative. It's normal. It's what we all go through. We have moments where our belief is not where it ought to be. We have moments where our faith is not where it ought to be. We have moments where our trust is not where we ought to be. And guess what God's doing? God is growing us in all of those areas. And the reality is, is when we have a lack of faith or unbelief or a lack of trust, do you realize what it does? It reveals that you belong to Him. It reveals that He's there. But can I make this clear today? That absolutely, Abraham's failure does not negate God's promise. You see, what God is doing to make this great nation is not depending on whether Abraham fails or not. It's depending on the fact that God cannot fail. Him becoming a great nation, His name becoming great, Him being blessed, is not dependent upon Abraham. Only God. Now let's look at how Abraham responds. This is what happens. 
because God says, because this is God's plan, God is involved in this, He's not unaware, He shows up and He's very present in our life, God says, Oh, Abraham, let me take care of this situation. So He sends some disease down among Pharaoh and his family, and Pharaoh and his family realize what's going on. They say, get his wife out of here, get him out of here, give him some stuff and get him out. You see, what, listen to what God did. God said, Abraham, you didn't believe that, I'd that I would protect you, that I'd take care of you, but I was going to take care of you. But listen to what else He did. But God said, not only did I take care of you and keep you from death, but I also kept your wife from being defiled. I also kept your wife from harm. I also cared for her. They sent her away. Now, let's look at Abraham's response in Genesis 13, 3 and 4. From Negev, he went from the place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, where he had pinched his tent earlier. He'd already been there. And where he had first built an altar. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. This is what I think Abram's prayer would have been like. Father, I'm sorry that for somehow the trouble that I was in caused me to forget your promise about me. Father, I'm sorry that I had unbelief and a lack of faith and I didn't trust you. Father, I'm sorry that I placed my wife in such a harm's way. I'm sorry that I didn't honor you, Father. I'm sorry that I didn't hallow your name. I'm sorry that at that moment it became about me and not about you, Father. So, Father, I confess my sin to you. And I'm at this altar to respond back to your promise that hasn't changed, though I failed. I'm at this altar to respond with love and adoration knowing that your promise stands even when I fail. Oh, Father, I love you. In Jesus' name. Now, when we look at number six, God's promises stand when families divide. God's promises stand when families divide. Read Genesis 13, 14 through 18 with me. And the Lord, let you turn there. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and the south, the east and the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring. For, forever. Would you look at it? Forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Now, would you notice that he continues to give him more detail about the promise. First it was the land, now it's how many his family is going to be made up of. And he says, go and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. 
Notice that he said that Abram after Lot had parted. See, Abraham and Lot's herds and people had grown so magnificently, so great, that there was too many in one place. Would you notice again that they're trying to stay together? And Abram said, let's not fight and argue among ourselves. Let's let some go over here and I'll pick where, I'll choose wherever you don't choose. Do you know why it didn't matter to Abraham? Because Abraham was looking for something more eternal. He was saying this is just temporary. It didn't matter to him. So they, they divided up and they split. And then God has this moment with Abraham. And he does what? He responds in worship. And when he responds in worship, what is he saying? Even though, God, you have called me from my family, even though my family is now divided, my dad is dead, my nephew's over there, I am here. Even though our families are divided, God, this is part of your plan. This is part of what you do, Father. We're here, right? Wilma and... Adam are here with us today, but Dave and his family are in Greece today. Their family is divided for the sake of the gospel. Would Wilma... I don't know whether Wilma will be truthful or not about this, but I'll ask her. Wilma, if you had your way, would you have Dave pastoring a church in Camel County? No way. no way. No way. Thank you, Wilma. Now, there's some other parents that would have said, absolutely. <laughs> if that was my child, I'd have them pastoring a church in Camel County. But you know why her answer is different? Because she's seen what God has done in Dave and his family's life on the mission field. Families divided. It doesn't change the promise. The promise is still the same. In closing, this is what we learned today. Our Father who is in heaven is a promise giver. And our Father who is in heaven is a promise keeper. Now listen closely to this. But you and I are not promise makers and you and I are not promise keepers because you and I cannot accomplish it. But you know what we are? We are promise receivers. We are promise takers. And as we receive His promise and as we take His promise, it is then that we begin to live out a life for Him. Bearing His image and worshiping Him. You see, God's promise causes us to be obedient, causes us to worship and to look for His kingdom. And God's promise remains in times of trouble, in times of failure, in times of division. Now I want to bring us to the New Testament. God said, Abram, I'm coming down to fulfill a command that mankind could not fulfill. 
In the New Testament, God said, I'm sending my son at the exact time, born of a woman, so that he may what? Live a life that you all have rebelled and cannot live. He will live that life for you. I'm coming to do it for you. And while I'm there, I'm not only going to live that life that you cannot live for you, but I'm also going to die the death that you should have died. And then I'm going to raise from the grave proving that I finished it. You see, the the covenant that was started with Abram in Genesis chapter 12 is completed on the cross when Jesus says, It is finished. You see, Matthew, when he gives the genealogy, said, from Abraham to Jesus, this is the covenant. This is about the people that lead to the Savior. See, guys, our salvation is paid for. It is done. It is accomplished. This seed that he's talking about, this offspring, do you realize that you and I, are that offspring? All believers are the offspring of Abraham. We're blessed. That's us. In Christ Jesus. So, if that's true, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is just as it was with Abram. To pitch tents and to build altars. To go and what? Be image bearers. To be people who bear His image and who make others who will worship Him. For us to build altars where in our failure we run to Him, in our difficulty we run to Him, in our good times we run to Him, but we're there to respond to His commands and His promises and to worship Him with all of our being. Yes. Two questions, and would you all come on the team? Two questions for us to think about as we worship this morning. Question number one. Are we pitching tents? Are we bearing His image? Are we leading others to worship Him? And are we looking and praying for His kingdom to come? Are we? Is that us? Too many times, just as mankind has always done, we want to do what God's responsible for. We want to make something great. We want to bless somebody. We want to do this stuff. When God said, would you just bear my image? Will you just lead others to worship me? Will you just look and pray for another kingdom? Second question, are we building altars? In our hearts, are we responding yes to His commands and promises? Are we saying, God, if you want me to go, I'll go. If you want me to stay, I'll stay. God, what would you have for my life? God, just you, Father. I'm whole and complete in you. I'm just asking you to say, what do you want with me, God? Make it clear. And are we just, while we're on this path, are we adoring Him? Are we expressing gratitude to Him? Are we confessing our sin to Him? 
That's what Abram did. Nothing more. He had failures. He had troubles. Nothing more than that. Why? Because he would have failed just like the people at the Babel. He would have failed just like the people in the garden. See, God said, I have come to do this.